my privilege to serve UBC, and it's my privilege to speak tonight. Uh, and I say that it's a privilege because UBC is the truest, richest family I've ever possessed. And really, I just hope tonight to be able to return some measure of the joy that you all have been to me the past few years. So our passage today is going to come from Isaiah 9-2. So if you'd like to start turning there, uh, feel free to do so. But before we read that, I'd like to go through just some brief context of the first eight chapters and just give you kind of a flavor of how we got here to Isaiah chapter 9. So Isaiah's early chapters are ones of judgment. In them, Israel and Judah are compared to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, not a flattering comparison by any means. And we see these spiritually deplorable people desperately longing for a leader over them. At one point, they're trying to make a man a leader over them simply because he has a cloak. This might be like someone being made president during the Great Depression simply because he still has a job. All right, so the qualifications for leadership are low, and the need is desperate. Now, Isaiah does offer some brief glimmers of hope. He talks about a branch of the Lord that will be extended. He talks about an Emmanuel, a God with us character that that will come and and prove God is yet there. But despite these brief glimmers of hope, chapter 8 actually ends bleakly, with the people lost in utter darkness. But nevertheless, in Isaiah chapter 9, we actually start off with Isaiah contrasting this utter darkness with the prophecy of a great light who will come in the birth of a son. And when we actually read Matthew 4, 13 through 16, we actually see that these words are quoted, proving that this, this prophecy is finally fulfilled in the coming and person of Jesus. So knowing all that, let's dig into our passage and listen along as I read Isaiah 9, 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And here's the main thrust of this verse. The coming light is greater than our current darkness. All right, and that's going to be our main point for tonight. That's the one point we're going to meditate on what that means, especially for us who are on the other side of that prophecy, on the other side of Jesus' coming. So one of my favorite activities to do is going caving or spelunking or whatever you want to call it. What I'm not talking about is what you might be able to go get up at Silver Dollar City. All right, I'm not talking about a guided tour. I'm talking about raw caving, complete darkness. All right, it's incredibly fun. Uh, it's an adrenaline rush. Uh, there's some potential danger if you're not careful. Uh, but for anybody who's gone, you know that you cannot go caving without a headlamp. All right? It's simply impossible to do without a headlamp. But as great as headlamps are, the reason that there's peril in them in caving, is that they're not a worthy adversary to the darkness of a cave. Headlamps only point in one direction. So if you look down at your feet, you'll soon realize why you're supposed to wear a helmet as you bump into stalactites. If you look up, now finding footing is treacherous and slow. And heaven help you if you try to look to the side or behind you. It's simply impossible to move and look around at the same time. Headlamps are an inadequate light source. Their power is limited and the darkness is always closing in. But something beautiful happens every time you're near the end of a cave. Real light appears. We're not talking about the inadequate light source of a man any longer, made by man any longer. We're talking about the real light of the sun. And you turn off your own headlamp, and you follow those glowing golden rays of sunlight like a rope until you emerge into beautiful bathing sunlight. Oh, it's life-giving to feel that sun on your skin after hours in the darkness. And I I paint this picture because I think it illustrates a truth that just as we crave good physical light sources, 
we also crave good spiritual light sources. And thankfully, one exists for us. What does Jesus say about himself in John 8, 12? He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Well, it turns out that Jesus is actually the only worthy light source of guiding our lives. If you're here today and you don't believe that, then I urge you, you need to know who Jesus is because you are a sinner and you willfully rebelled against a holy and just God. And because of this rebellion, you're like those in our passage who, quote, walked in darkness. You're in utter darkness and still perilously searching for a way out of that deep, dark cave. But God, being rich in mercy and seeing your helplessness, did not leave you alone. He sent his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross to pay the punishment you deserve because of your rebellious heart. And he did this so that you might have the light of life if you place your faith in Jesus. Placing your faith in Jesus means to repent from your sinful life, be baptized, pick up your cross, and follow him. If you'd like to learn more about what that means, please ask myself or or ask someone who brought you afterwards. But if you've placed your faith in this true light source, then I want this message to be an encouragement to you because you are a child of the light. Christian, remember this fact because the darkness loves nothing more than to try to make you forget who you are. Satan loves nothing more than to make your eyes be cast downwards once more as if you're still that blind man in our passage from Mark this morning. So when the darkness holds up a ransom note with your name on it, remember that that ransom was paid for on the cross and the father now owns you as his child. When the darkness tries to overpower you, remember you have the Holy Spirit and he has final power in your life as the powerful executor of God's will. When the darkness seeks to restrain you from following Jesus, remember that it cannot restrain you because it could not restrain the son in the grave. We need to remember that after three days of darkness desperately attempting to restrain Jesus in the grave, that stone was rolled away, light shot out of a dark tomb, and Jesus stepped forth. He conquered darkness and death that day, and he established a kingdom he would call you and I into, not as blind men and women, but as ones who are healed and can now see clearly. And we need this hope of light. We need it desperately because the darkness is real. Let's not trivialize it. We all feel, we all experience the darkness. I've certainly felt it in my own life. I felt it after being laid off a second time from a job and questions come racing through my mind. Why am I not good enough? Why couldn't I save my job? What will I do next? What's your plan, Lord? Because I don't see it. I felt the darkness in the midst of a pornography addiction. I felt the darkness sumped over on a bathroom floor, wet in my own tears, wondering what kind of duplicitous, treacherous monster can worship God one hour and then turn from him so fiercely the next. I felt the darkness when I've had to repent from the same sin multiple times in the same day and that accusations from Satan start hurtling through your minds. Accusations like, who are you to be able to repent right now? Surely Jesus doesn't love you. Who are you to approach his throne right now? Friends, I know the darkness, but there's one who knows it even better. Jesus knows it even better. The one who sweat blood in the garden as he prayed to the Father for another way, he understands your stress and anxiety. The one who suffered floggings and phlegm from the soldiers, he understands your physical pain or the bullying you might face at work or school. 
The one who not only died physically on a cross, but also suffered the greatest spiritual torment ever known. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it feels like to not be able to find the face of the Father. Now, brother and sister, darkness is real. But it's precisely because we have a great high priest who knows the darkness that he is so uniquely suited to defeat the darkness as our conquering light. Do you believe that tonight? Do you remember that tonight? Do you believe that you have a great high priest who knows your darkness? And because he knows your darkness, he is so uniquely suited to defeat your darkness as your conquering light. Oh, hold fast to that hope because you may be here and that darkness might be engulfing you, trapping you, suffocating you. You might be on your knees, flinching, cowering in a corner, blood in your mouth after a long, weary fight with the darkness. And that darkness is reared up, maw open, seemingly ready to devour you. Oh, Christian, cry out to this great high priest in that moment because you have one who will always come and stand in the gap on your behalf. And when every other hope has been snuffed out, I can promise you he will never be snuffed out. Hold fast to him. He is your light. It's also why he left us the church, though. A body of believers around us who know the darkness as well. So I urge you, if you're here today and you have darkness in your life that no one else knows about, oh, please don't leave this building bearing your darkness alone. Don't go back home and let that darkness drag you back into that cave where you suffer in silence. Because feeling the darkness isn't odd, it's ordinary. It's not odd, it's ordinary. So tell a brother or sister what is going on in your life. For the church wasn't made for those who are perfect. Remember what we learned this morning about our own statement of faith. That the grand mark of a Christian is not their perfection, but their persevering affection for Christ. Remember that the church was designed precisely for those of us who are hurting and besieged by darkness. So we need to dismantle this notion that when we gather, we gather as a body of perfect people, but rather we gather as a people hoping to be emboldened, encouraged, so that we can maintain our persevering affection for Christ. And that means our response to one another needs to be to wrap our arms around one another, and help one another remember that we're exactly the kind of people Jesus came to die for. Yes, we're helpless, and yes, we're weak, but in him we don't have to remain that way forever. In him we have a glorious destiny in the light together. Together. Hold fast to that light. Maybe you're here today, though, and that that darkness feels a little more distant. Maybe you've experienced it at some point in your life, but you're actually in a pretty good place right now. You know, you're walking closely in step with the Spirit. Your time in the Word and prayer is sweet and rich. You're discipling someone. You're being discipled by someone. Evangelism is going well. That's a fantastic place to be. Praise God for that. That's not odd either. But two things for you if you're there. One, do not stray from your light source. All right? You need to continue to read the Word avidly. Continue to pray with one another ardently. And do not forsake the command to continue meeting together affectionately. All right, this will help bolster you when the darkness rears its ugly head in your life again. And make no mistake, systemic sin is not the only way darkness enters our lives. All right, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, hurtful words spoken 
carelessly or maybe maliciously can all cause the darkness to come back in a moment's notice. So we need to stay immersed in that light source so that we're prepared for those moments. Two, we need to look for ways to help bear others' burdens. Invite those hard conversations. Ask how you can help and be prepared for things to get messy. But we need to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And there's a lot of practical ways I could get into application of this, but, you know, for time constraints, the one practical application I'm going to give you is that Brad's actually already done some wonderful sermons on Galatians, and it's called The Gospel Produces, and it's about five sermons, so about three and a half hours long. And I'd encourage you, just over the next couple weeks, just go re-listen to those. Look for a couple ways that you can integrate those practical bearings of one another's burdens into your life so that we can become an affectionate body that glorifies Christ through our affection and love and care for one another. Because this is our work as a church. It's to remember that on a night long ago in Bethlehem, the greatest light known to man was not a bright star, but a baby boy in a manger. We're not in the business of of saving ourselves because everything we've ever needed was provided for us in the cries of an infant who would become our wonderful counselor and our prince of peace. Our job then is simply to remember, worship, and glorify this Savior who lived the life we could not and would not and died the death we should have so that darkness would not be our final destiny. Oh, church, this Christmas, remember that the reason for the season is that the light of the world has come. Remember that this light did what no other light is capable of. It removed our blindness, it opened our eyes, and it restored them so that we might see clearly. Remember this light is no mere teacher. Remember what Peter confessed, that this light is Jesus of Nazareth, and he, he is the Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for not abandoning us to the darkness. If you had, we would have had no room to complain. Oh, but Lord, you hatched a scandalous plan to drill down into that collapsed mind we were entombed in. Lord, what a marvelous thing you did. A virgin birth, star in the sky. Lord, you, you craft plans that are far above what our own plans could have ever imagined. God, this Christmas season, and in fact for the rest of our lives, help us remember what a divine miracle it is that you did not leave us alone in the darkness. You sent God to be with us in the birth of Jesus Christ. And Lord, what a humbling thing it is to think that Jesus, who is in every regard God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and took on flesh and the weakly and frail flesh of an infant at that. Lord, let us remember with joy that this Christmas season, that when we wake on Christmas morning, our joy is not finally in Christmas presents under a tree, nor is it, nor is it in family, wonderful as they may be. Lord, it's not in a white Christmas, but it's in white souls illuminated by a cleansing light. Our great hope, Lord, then, is that so long ago, a Savior looked down on an uncouth, unlovable people and deemed them worthy of being loved and plucked out of the land of shadow. Lord, let us be filled with peace, then, that you hold us fast in your light, and now fill us with that very same light. What a wondrous mystery, God. To you be all glory, dominion, majesty, and authority, now and forevermore. Amen.